everybody, welcome to your weekly sermon from Brad Tuttle Ministries. I am so glad that you decided to join me today. I'm in my air-conditioned home and it's 110 outside. Amen. But we're going to get into the Word of God and we're going to continue on with our series that we are in. And I am so excited about this because this is cementing a lot of things in my understanding uh, in a way that I feel confident in bringing it to you because this topic i said this every single sermon so far and probably almost say it every one but um this is a very underappreciated topic and you wouldn't think it would be because it's about the holy spirit who is an active member of the godhead who lives inside of us we've talked about that and you would think that uh there would be more preaching on it but again men are afraid to touch some areas of it and um, I'm not going to be I'm going to bring this in a way that I believe is understandable it's understandable to me I believe it'll be understandable to you and I believe it behooves all of us to know uh, greater about the Holy Spirit and about his baptism and about his gifts and about his power and about everything of who he is and what he can do. So we're going to stay with the title, Who is the Holy Spirit? This is part three. And this is about misconceptions about the baptism with the Holy Spirit. So who is the Holy Spirit? Part three, misconceptions about the baptism with the Holy Spirit. So we have a lot of things to talk about regarding the Holy Spirit, who he is, what he does, um, his gifts, his fruit. Um, and I want to get to this topic of the baptism with the Holy Spirit really bad because I know it's an area a lot of people struggle with, whether struggle with understanding it or they believe it, but they don't want to tell anybody they do, or they don't, they look at it in a wrong way, or they, or they completely dismiss it uh, as not meaning that much. But um, it, this is a powerful topic, and I really want to get to that one specifically because, you know, multitudes of people over the centuries have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. So it seems important to me to explain this properly in my own understandings, in the way that I understand it. And I want you to know that I'm striving again to make this simple to understand. I'm not just passing on mere knowledge, but I'm trying to lead everybody into this dynamic uh, power and blessing of God. This is a powerful life we live. I don't believe Pentecost has ever stopped or should ever stop in our understanding. Pentecost should never stop in the church. Pentecost should never stop in our personal lives. Remember Acts 1 verses 5 and then verses 8 say, You shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Again, that word power, we learned last week, it's dunamis. In the Greek, it means mighty, explosive power. So in Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit came, and it came upon the 120 disciples that were in the upper room, uh, tongues of fire set each each one of them had a tongues of fire on on their head, and the wind and the wind blew, and uh, there was this mighty rushing like a wind, like a you know a hurricane type wind type of thing. And man, this was like sighting. This was demonstrative. This was uh, something that was life changing. They were completely changed. And uh, understand, they'd already walked with Jesus for several years, but this is what really changed them. This is what changes us. It's this power source 
that comes in to live inside of us when we are baptized in the Holy Spirit. I believe all of us need to have an Acts 2 experience. I know I did. I tried to let people talk me out of that for many years, but I've decided, nope, I believe that we, I am supposed to be doing ministry, dynamic, uh, explosive ministry around the world. And I would not, I would not venture, the more I learn and the more I understand this, I would not venture to go out and do anything in ministry without knowing that I have been baptized, filled full of the Holy Spirit. Because remember, Jesus told them to wait until the promise of the Father comes. In other words, coming of the Holy Spirit. Before you go out and do anything else, you wait on the Holy Spirit to come. That's how important that is. So I'm going to cover the baptism with the Holy Spirit that we touched on in Acts chapter 2. But before I do that, I felt like I needed to use this sermon as a sermon about just a few misconceptions so that when we go into it next week, into the actual, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, what it means uh, and what it is, that you, we have dealt with some things that maybe have been blockades into your mind. And the reason why is because people had bad experiences with this topic that has closed their minds and hearts off to the actual reality of this wonderful gift from Jesus to us. This is a gift that Jesus gave us, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father. And believe me, I've been there, I, but I've come, again, I'll say this, I've come to a place in my understanding from what I see, the Bible clearly and practically lays out regarding this topic. Um, and so I, I want all of us to live in this explosive, supernatural life. That's why I'm doing it. That's what it's doing to me. Again, that's what I want it to do to you. But I really believe I needed to deal with um, these misconceptions. Next week, we'll talk about the Holy Spirit. Maybe the next week, we'll talk about how to receive the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about the gifts of the Spirit. That's something people always want to know about. We will get the, the, to the tongues issue uh, and, uh, and then the, the fruit and just a lot of other things regarding the Spirit. But, you know, I, I want to make this comment before. And again, so many people block him out or some people dismiss the Holy Spirit, dismiss the baptism, dismiss the power, dismiss the mighty explosive aspect of it. But let me, let me ask this. How can something that is supposed to increase the vitality and effectiveness of the believer and the church come to be viewed as a source of frustration or even a liability? I believe the part of the problem, part of the problem is misconceptions. Um, just a simple misunderstanding about the Holy Spirit baptism can, can eliminate this experience from the priorities of a believer and therefore the life of a church. Man, if, if I'm going to be in a church, I want it to be a church that has mighty explosive. Yes, I want the word to be sound and solid, but I want that church to have to be not just just to be mighty and explosive in its power, and it believes in the gifts and operates in those gifts in a non-weird way, in a biblical way. But there's great power in that, and it's just it's it's a great it's a, it's just awesome. So we're going to deal with these misconceptions first. All right, so. Misconceptions of the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Misconception number one. So follow me really close on this. Misconception number one. There is only one baptism, but many fillings. Man, I went with that for a long time until I really looked at the word. And first of all, I, I cannot direct you to a scripture verse that argues such a thing. Because there is not a single word about repeated fillings. There's not. 
you know, if you go into Acts chapter two and 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 after Acts chapter two, and you see the mentions, uh, as it mentions some of the twelve disciples as as they are out ministering, it'll say being filled with the Spirit, like as they were going to go preach or they were going to pray for the sick. Give you an example, Acts 4, 8, then Peter filled with the Spirit said to them, rulers and elders of the people. So then Peter filled with the Spirit said to them. But this isn't saying this was a repeated filling, but they're filling with this filling. This was the actual state they lived in because of them being baptized in Acts chapter 2. They were now full and moving in the power of the Holy Spirit. They didn't need another filling. They had the Holy Spirit and the fullness of his his power in their life. They were have already been immersed in the, in the Holy Spirit, baptized in the Spirit. There was not a need to be continually filled. We've taken that, and they were and they were continually. Then Peter filled with the Spirit. We, we people take that as what well, means he has to be filled again. Um, that's not what that's saying there. Um, and I'll, I'll say another one. The disciples they had received the Holy Spirit when Jesus breathed on them in John. Uh, 2022. Think about that. It says, when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, receive ye the Holy Spirit. So these guys were born again because they had the Spirit in them. You can't be regenerated without the Spirit in your life. But he still told them to wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father, the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon them, to indwell them for service. Powerful, right? So these first believers enjoyed this personal experience of the indwelling Spirit, and nothing less than that is offered to all who believe from the day of Pentecost onward. This one baptism, many fillings. Let me go back to this and make a point on this again. And we're going to hit this with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because people are going to say, well, I thought they already had the Spirit because they, and we'll even hit this a little bit more in this at the end of the sermon. I thought that they, you know, why did they, well, that's when the Spirit first came. No, Jesus said, he breathed on them in John 20, 22, he said, receive the Holy Spirit. He also said in another place in the Word of God, the Word has, men, the word has made you clean. So these guys walked with him for three years and they were already born again but they still needed that power. So whether you want to call this a, uh, however you want to look at it wording wise, and we'll talk about that next week. So this one baptism, many fillings, uh, again, is a term that many use in the church, but I found it to be simply code for those who oppose the baptism in the spirit with signs following. And they're always used this one baptism, many fillings. People diminish we diminish this explosive, mighty power that comes from the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Read, read Acts chapter 2 again. Just read it. Just plainly read it and look at the power that came. Don't get caught up. Yes, they all spoke with other tongues, but even that miracle manifestation showed how the Holy Spirit wanted to reach people from all ethnic backgrounds because he was they were speaking in all the language of the people there, this diverse group of people that had come to uh, in the end of the Jerusalem at that time. And uh, that's a powerful thing. And so that he, God was manifesting through himself, the Holy Spirit, through these guys um, as they were praying and speaking in other tongues after the power of the Holy Spirit hit them and filled them. So if you, you can't help but plainly see that this event happening will be an explosive and life-changing event in your life. This should be, this, again, the plain reading of it in Acts chapter 2 
shows it to be an explosive, life-changing event in one's life. It was a life-changing, explosive event in my life. It should be a life-changing, explosive event in your life. We should not live this Christian life denying the power of the Spirit, denying the gifts of the Spirit in operation. Why would the Holy Spirit have them stop in the, new, in the church in Acts and not continue on when he tells us that we are supposed to go out and preach the gospel, lay hands on the sick, cast out demons, speak in other tongues. Why would he tell them that or tell us that if he wasn't going to continue with the fullness of the Spirit and the fullness of all the gifts in operation? So do you or have you had this explosive, life-changing event happen in your life? If you haven't, I'm going to convince you of it when we talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit next week. And then we're going to even talk about either in that sermon or the next one, how do I go about receiving this Holy Spirit? And I think your eyes are going to be open because it's not about an emotional thing. It's about seeing it in the Word and it's about asking for it because you know it's God's will for you to have it. Amen. So this should be a life-changing enough experience that it's something that we distinctly remember happening in our lives. It should be a distinct happening in your life. And lastly, on this point, on the subject of one baptism, many fillings, when someone says, because if you think about it, they were baptized. So we're saying that what happened at them initially started to fade away and they needed more fillings. Well, that then brings us to questions like this. When someone says they've been baptized in the spirit, how long does it last? A week, an hour, six months? Does the Holy Spirit leak away like the power from a car battery? Does the Holy Spirit baptism evaporate? Is the baptism with the Holy Spirit only one drink and we need to go for another and another like cups of tea? Listen, if we're going to do the work to which God has called us, the anointing rests upon us and we, we can have nothing less. We have to be the people God's called us to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. So we receive this from the moment of the baptism in your life, the moment the Spirit comes to fill you full, moment by moment, this is a never ceasing river. It's like rivers will flow out of your belly. Rivers of living water, it talks about in the Word of God. Rivers of living water will flow. Rivers of living water will flow. You can always be in the flow from that power, from that baptism that happened in your life. You can always be in the flow. What happens to people is they either get talked out of it or they get into sin or and they get away from being obedient to the Word of God and then they get off track and that's when they're thinking, well, I don't have it anymore. But it, I'm telling you, that's part of the receiving of it. And that's part of the staying in it is that we are determined to live a life unto Christ that is pleasing to Him and we can stay full and be ready at any moment. Listen, what's going to happen, and I've said this in previous sermons, whenever I needed it, it wasn't about necessarily that I felt it or when I went into some speaking times I was nervous or put in these situations where you know I, I just could not depend upon myself uh, very I would call them difficult type of evangelistic situations and very um, unique settings uh, where you're like oh my gosh how's this gonna happen what how am I gonna pull this off well it wasn't me at the moment that I opened my mouth at the moment that I began to minister that baptism that I had that fullness 
came to to full came to full use in me as a spirit then came to give me the power to be the witness i didn't have to get refilled it was already there and i just began to operate in it so you're going to you're going to walk in it and live in it when you when you need it. remember the spirit gave us the baptism of the holy spirit for service it's not some uh, plaything it is for service. It is to be a witness. It is to do to go tell people about Christ, lay hands on the sick, and on and on like that. So how can we expect act like result, acts like results, when we reject acts like processes? Amen. All right. So misconception number two, tongues is the main reason for the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Tongues is the main reason for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And man, um, this is right. Somebody's saying, yeah, I've heard that before, or I thought that myself. So when it comes to understanding the why of Holy Spirit baptism, again, I believe a major roadblock is built out of obsessively, somebody say obsessively, obsessively focusing on tongue speaking rather than the true purpose of the gift. Why do we need to be Holy Spirit baptized? Is the centerpiece of it really tongues? The purpose and practice of the Pentecostal reality is sidelined by this when theologians brain wrestle over this thing about tongues and they get sidetracked because of it. Lay people probably sit back and, and they're thinking, why would I even desire to receive the baptism if all I've ever heard about it is this tongue issue or these impractical arguments? And that's been a downfall for a lot of people, unfortunately. Believe me, I've been in this long enough and I've seen people who... Um, have left their, grew up in whatever it was, Assemblies of God or, you know, whatever type of church that believed in the fullness of the Holy Spirit still operating today. And because they've seen weird stuff, they have run away from it. And that is a shame. It's a shame. Listen, I've been there. I've seen I've seen the weird, and if you don't even know anything about what I'm talking about, that's great, but I've seen the weird stuff and weird things and weird acting that people do, and I let it affect me for a little while, but I'm never letting it affect me again. I want everything the Holy Spirit has for me. I want him to fill me full, and I want to walk in his power all the rest of the days of my life to make a great impact in the, for the kingdom of God in this world. So I frequently have asked people, why would someone want to receive the Holy Spirit baptism? Typical answer is so they can speak in tongues and have a prayer language. Somehow we've lost the simplicity or the purity of Pentecost, all caught up in that one thing. Suddenly, get this, let me read it as I wrote it. Suddenly the focus is an argument that we have to win rather than a gateway to spirit-empowered ministry. Suddenly the focus is an argument that we have to win rather than a gateway to spirit-empowered ministries. See what I'm saying? I mean, the sad reality is that when many church folks see an ink blot of a dove, the first thing that enters their mind is tongues. So whenever, that's really good, I'm going to read that again. Uh, the sad reality is that when many church folks see an ink blot of a dove, the first thing that goes into their mind is the aspect of tongues. And I am convinced, I am convinced, I'm going to tell you right now, I am convinced an outward sign of Holy Spirit baptizing is speaking in unlearned languages or tongues. I am convinced because Holy Spirit baptism has a specific, obvious, biblical function. I'm convinced of these things. 
and I say function, that's the key word, not argument. And listen, the culture that we live in now, they want practical truth and um, things that they can personally engage and implement in their life. And instead of making this into some big hard thing to understand, the good news is that Holy Spirit baptism is a is such a truth. It's easy to understand and it's easy to utilize. It's men who have gotten it all out of whack, again, because of this misconception of obsessing over the aspect of tongues. On the day of Pentecost, they were all filled and began to speak unlearned languages as the Spirit empowered them. They began to speak out God-inspired words in another language as the Spirit enabled them. Then, sometime afterward, a group of people gathering for the feast heard them. They had two basic responses. Some were amazed. Some thought this noisy bunch was drunk. Uh, they didn't know any better. That's when Acts 2.14, Peter steps up. Remember, Peter, who once was a coward and denied Christ three times in front of a teenage girl around a campfire, right after Jesus, after Jesus had already told him, you're going to deny me three times, he did it anyway because he was too afraid to tell people he was associated with Christ. He then gets baptized in mighty explosive power. Now these people are saying, are these people drunk? And Peter says, uh-uh, steps up in Acts 2.14, stops speaking to God in his unlearned spiritual language and begins to address the gathered crowd. This guy who was cowardly before, uh, didn't want to attach himself to Christ. He gets up in front of this crowd and he speaks in whatever Arabic or uh, Aramaic or Hebrew. And he preached this most convincing, well-ordered sermon. Let me make a point of that. This was a well, read it, a well-ordered sermon. And I would, I, would, I would suffice it to say that that content of that sermon was obviously beyond his natural ability. And that's what the Spirit does. When you need it, when you need him to come, when you need his power manifesting in your life, it's when you begin to do ministry and begin to do service. That's why you got to wait till you get out there and do what God's called you to do till you're moving in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus told the disciples that. You've been with me, but I want you to wait before you go out and do what I've called you to do. Wait for the promise of the Father because you need this power. Woo! Amen? Um, listen, if you can trust God, I'll read this the way I wrote it. If you can trust God to order your words in the spiritual language, how much more can you trust him in order? If you can trust God to order your words in the spiritual language, how much more can you trust him to order your words in your own language to unbelievers. Holy Spirit baptism is about saying the right things. First, the God-inspired tongues, but also in our known languages as we prophetically minister words from God's heart. So since I began to understand Acts chapter 2, I have never had to argue the physical evidence of tongues with anyone. Biblically, tongues are a prophetic confirmation of a prophetic anointing to be a prophetic witness. Again, they're not the main thing of the baptism of the Spirit, though. The power to do ministry is the main aspect, the main thing about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Speaking with an unknown tongue, these are outgrowths. These are other, these are other gifts. These are other aspects of moving in the power of the Holy Spirit because we see them in Acts 2 doing that very thing. Peter talked about, he explained in Joel chapter 2, uh, where it was said that he, the Spirit will be poured out upon all people. And uh, so suddenly speaking in tongues then takes on this vital functional role for the believer who wants to be a prophetic witness. It's a powerful tool 
in the hand of the believer who believes it and who does it in the perfection and the beauty of the Holy Spirit, not in weirdness or not in some made-up gibberish. But listen, when the Holy Spirit moves, when the Holy Spirit truly moves, it is perfect. It's beautiful and it's perfect and it's powerful. And so I truly believe this gift of tongues can be a great prophetic witness to unbelievers, especially when it's interpreted in Jesus' name. So suddenly, speaking in tongues then, and again, but the main purpose of the baptism is not about speaking in tongues, but there is a great value of this tongue aspect taking place from the baptism of the Spirit. It is a vital functional role for us as believers who want to be a prophetic witness. We need Holy Spirit baptism, not primarily so we can speak in tongues. We need it so we can speak to lost people. That's the main aspect of it. It gives you the power to be a witness. Tongues is another beautiful thing that comes along with it. And we're going to talk about that in a specific sermon so you know all about it. But the main purpose of the Spirit, of the member, he said, I'm going to bring, I'm going to, you're going to receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you. And then immediately after, he says, and you're going to be my witnesses to all the world. And that's why that power came to, to embolden us. Look at Peter, look at all the disciples, every one of them. Because of that Acts 2 experience, they became so bold in their witness for Christ. So bold. I, I want to be bold in my witness for Christ. You should want to be bold in your witness for Christ. People say, I don't know how to evangelize. I'm afraid to go evangelize. We should never be afraid to evangelize. You know why? Because we got the power of the Holy Spirit in us. If you don't, I get it. But if you've been baptized in the Spirit, man, use that power. Get out there and do what God has called you to do because he's going to be with you. The power source will be in you and will be with you, especially when you need it. So we also, from the tongue aspect, we, we, it's an added benefit of communion with God in this new language, but it's not the main issue of the baptism. Um, always focusing on these secondary issues uh, has produced a generation of ministers who suffer from what I call acute pneumophobia. Acute pneumophobia. In other words, they are convinced, listen to this, they're convinced of Holy Spirit baptism with tongues as a reality, but at the same time, they are afraid it will ruin their church's dignified reputation because they've seen it abused and they've, they're afraid their people are not, ah, this is so sad because I believe sometimes pastors don't preach this to their people and don't share this topic with their people because they're afraid the people are going to grab a hold of it and start doing weird stuff with it. Well, you know what? Talk to them about it, teach it to them, and then and then and then when when a service is happening and things are happening and the spirit is moving, keep an eye on what's being done. Make sure there's no weirdness. If there's weirdness there, call it out. Keep it in order. It's supposed to be done in order. If it seems out of order, then it's out of order. But it's a shame to keep the knowledge and the truth from people that they might now experience this great power source in their life because you're afraid that people might misuse it. Uh, you know, is tongue speaking a necessary drudgery or a spiritually natural blessing? It's a spiritually natural blessing. Is it like a va vaccination where you grit your teeth while the needle's going in before you can enjoy its long-term events? Do you have to speak in tongues or do you get to? Again, it's not the main issue of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but it is an, it is an aspect of it. But we get to 
participate in this language to God. Speaking in tongues is not a liability, but a beautiful blessing. But power for ministry is the main feature of Holy Spirit baptism. Don't ever forget that. The main feature of Holy Spirit baptism is power for ministry. And listen, you don't have to be afraid of tongues ruining you or ruining your church. If you understand that the baptism isn't just so people can speak in tongues, but so they can speak to lost people with prophetic power. And that's what lost people need to see is us ministering to them through the power of the Holy Spirit in prophetic power. This, this world, the, the lost need to see the power of God. They need to see the power of God. We preach and we have signs following. We share the gospel and we believe for signs to follow. Amen. Misconception number three. I can only get baptized in the spirit at a special service or through a certain minister. <laughs> um, I have lived this one. I, I was a, I, when I first, well, the church did a lot for me, but there were some certain things, aspects that I, you know, I, 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 I learned. Um, but, you know, they, they would bring in a special guy who basically had a special anointing supposedly to pray for people to receive the baptism. And that's not what we're going to learn um, in how to receive the baptism in the next couple sermons. But people believe that. Um, so can I only... Is it only at the red hot camp meeting Holy Ghost night that I can be baptized in the spirit? Or can someone receive the spirit after eating a stale donut at a men's breakfast? Um, I mean, is it only after the minister has rubbed the toes of his shoes on the carpet and uh, adequately static charged his fingertips? Or can it happen in someone's car on the way to work? So we have over romanticized the reception process of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and which excludes a lot of just many ordinary folks because they've got a testimony of someone that happened a certain way and they don't ever see it happening to them and it kind of puts them off. This is not nuclear physics. It is a, it's simple obedience. We're going to get to that. I'm going to give you six or seven steps on what you got to do and you're going to see them biblically in the word of God that you do to make sure to, that you might receive the baptism in your life if you haven't. If you're firmly convinced that, number one, if you're firmly convinced that Jesus is a baptizer in the Holy Spirit, Jesus is the one that baptizes us in the Spirit, then wherever he is, it can happen because Jesus is omnipotent. So you can be baptized in the Spirit right now, anywhere, in your car, in wherever, at work, wherever. Uh, one of the easiest traps for people to fall into is to place too much credence on this personal, emotional response. It's not all about emotions. Many, I know a lot of preachers or ministers, they feel this extreme pressure to build emotionally charged atmospheres. I've seen this. I've been in it. Places where their own personal testimony can be re replicated for their congregations. I've seen, I've seen people preach before and they didn't think that uh, they, in, in their own minds, they thought, well, I was boring or that was boring. So let me stir this up and let's have a healing line. Um, there was this, this pressure in them to build this emotionally charged atmosphere. I recognize that I saw it, and uh, it's a shame, but people f fall into that, and that's not what this is about. I find it enlightening and very burden-lightening 
to know that the Acts accounts of Holy Spirit baptism never give one shred of emotional detail, such as they were all filled and began to speak in other tongues as they cried buckets of tears. You don't hear anything about the emotional aspect attached to it. Now, it's obvious that emotional responses are part of the way that God made us, and they are, that's true, they're a secondary phenomenon. So I'm not saying you're not going to be, I was moved emotionally, but if, if I, it may not be that way with everybody else. So what my point is, is that people uh, think that it has to sound a certain way or look a certain way, because that's what my testimony is. We all have a different testimony to bring to the table. Again, emotional, it's, it's not about the emotional response, although that means that it really happened, although I guarantee you there will be emotion to it. Uh, because people are moved by what they can see rather than, than the invisible reality of what they know happened because the word tells them if they ask of it, um, your father who give good, gives good gifts to his children, if you want to receive this, you know it's the will of God that you receive it. And uh, because he tells us over and over, he wants to fill us with his spirit. And so we ask for it and he can fill us then. And it's not about, again, it's not about connected to this emotional experience, but it's about basing it all on the truth of the word of God. Amen. Yet, I guarantee you there will be some, I don't know, if nothing else, an, ex, an, an emotion of great joy. I really believe when um, the 120 were speaking in other tongues and they looked on them and thought they were drunk. I agree with somebody. I, I believe these guys were so filled and overwhelmed with joy. And that's one of the things, that's one of the great emotions I think that can happen is you just get filled with the joy of the Lord, um, this dousing, this immersion of the Holy Spirit. So if we misrepresent how the baptism is received, then someone may be disappointed when it doesn't happen that way. That's what I'm trying to say. If you don't create this, uh, you don't have to create this highly charged atmosphere or be in a special meeting or tent meeting for people to be filled with the Spirit. You don't have to. The bottom line is Jesus is the baptizer, hear me, and he wants to show himself to people as their personal baptizer in the spirit today. And remember, Jesus is omnipresent. He's anywhere. He's all places at all times. You can be filled and baptized with the spirit wherever you are, whatever time of the day it is. It doesn't have to be a special service with hands laid on by a special preacher. Again, we're going to be talking soon about the baptism with the Holy Spirit, how to receive. So those are three misconceptions that we talked about. Those are three misconceptions. So I want to touch on a few other things and then we'll come into a close. Again, I wanted to say to you, I'm absolutely convinced from the scriptures and personal experience that God is still moving in Pentecostal power. And I believe it is needed in the church today more than ever before. Not just, it's not just the the uh, moving of people with the emotion of the melody of music. I'm talking about a fire. I remember one time, um, this is not in my notes, just just kidding. I remember one time I was speaking at a, I forget what they call it, a forceful men uh, conference when I was on the power team the first time. And it was in Phoenix, Arizona. And there was a bunch of athletes there and it, there was like thousands of people and it was hosted by Pastor Tommy Barnett. And there was, it was it, this thing was huge. And uh, one of the people in attendance was Reinhard Bonnke. And at that time he was a, you know, kind of a Christian hero of mine. Cause man, I always wanted to do evangelism like that. You know, he was just, 
he would get up and roar like a lion. Just such power. It just you could just tell there was just operating in Pentecostal power. And um, I wanted that, and was great. I gave my testimony. Guess what? Who was sitting in the front row? He was. Um, the next day, we're outside in this kind of, uh, you know, an outdoor arena, outdoor situation where there's people were sitting and then there was a speaker. It was a beautiful, beautiful setting. There was a lake behind us and all that. Well, he was sitting. Well, you know what? Well, well, first of all, I rode with him in the van from the hotel to the place. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like a little kid. Oh, this is great. And um, when I was in there with him, you know, I could tell he's just a normal person. But as he sat down, he sat in the front row right in front of me. And I will never forget to this day him turning around. I wish I had recorded and knew the, all the exact words, but I remember him turning around and looking me in the eye. I remember this guy stood in front of over a million, over a million people at a time and preached the gospel in Africa and around the world. And he turned around and looked at me and he said, the fire of the Holy Ghost is going to flow from your mouth. You got the fire. And I remember, oh my gosh, that's like slew me back into my seat. But I still have that fire. Um, I'm not going to let anything douse it. I'm not going to let anything put it out. Again, I believe that God is still moving in Pentecostal power. And I am equally convinced that we must contend for a fresh demonstration of his power in our churches and in our communities and before this group of lost people that we have in this nation and in the world. We must cling to the biblical imperatives of the Holy Spirit baptism and its accompanying gifts. Don't write off the gifts. We're going to talk about them. The gifts are still in operation today. They did not cease. We must see these truths in practical ways that the Bible presents. And we're going to show this to you in the Word of God. Listen, there is nothing impossible to a man who is filled full of the Holy Spirit. There's nothing. As I have been studying this and I go about my life and I go to work and I work at the range and the different things I do or I go to the gym and you really begin to see that those things are all good. They're, they're fun things to do. So you work out or shoot or, you know, wreck. But man, there's nothing like pressing into and, fill, and, and, and just knowing that you can operate in the power of the Holy Spirit and do the works of God. Um, there's nothing impossible to a man who's filled full with the Holy Spirit. It is beyond all human comprehension. All human comprehension. When you're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, God will work wonderfully with you wherever you go. Remember, I've preached on beaches and cockfight arenas. I've preached, I thought of some place today, uh, and I'll, maybe it'll come to me where I preach. It was very, very odd and unique. But man, I've been put in so many unique situations to preach. And God has always come, the Holy Spirit has always come through for me. All believers in Jesus Christ have God's Spirit living within them or dwelling in them. See this in John, Ephesians, 2 Corinthians, Ephesians. But not all believers live filled or controlled by the Spirit's power. And lastly, again, the idea of being filled by the Spirit or baptized with the Holy Spirit is more than about an ongoing sense of God's Spirit working in a person's life. It's not just a one-time experience. It is an ongoing sense of God's Spirit working in a person's life. Ongoing. If you've been baptized on the Holy Spirit, stir it up again. Stir it up again. Let it begin to be an ongoing thing in your life. An ongoing sense of God's Spirit. The promise of the Father through which the endowment of power was to come 
was the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And again, Christ strictly charged his disciples not to presume to undertake the work to which he had called them until they had received as the necessary and all essential preparation for that work, the baptism with the Holy Spirit. We talked about misconceptions. Hopefully these will get some, things, some of the things out of the way so you can fully understand, believe, and receive the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. And remember, these men whom Jesus said, wait, seem to already receive thorough preparation for the work in hand. They'd been to school with Christ himself for more than three years. They had heard from his own lips the great truths that they were to proclaim to the world. They had been eyewitnesses of his miracles. They saw him feed the 5,000 or the 10,000, we should say, twice. They've, they've, they've eyewitnesses of his death and of his resurrection were about to be eyewitnesses of his ascension. So you would think the work before them was simply to go forth to proclaim what their own eyes had seen and what their own ears had heard from the lips of Christ himself. Were they not fully prepared for the work? It would seem to us they would be, but Jesus said, no, you are so utterly unprepared, you must not stir a step yet. There is a further preparation, so all essential to effective service. You must abide at Jerusalem until you receive it. This further preparation is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When you receive that and not until then, you will be prepared to begin the work to which I have called you. Listen, if Jesus did not permit these men who had the rare opportunity of in this unparalleled schooling, walking with him, watching him, following him, if he would not let them go do the work he called them to do until they were baptized with the Holy Spirit, why would we think we'd be able to do anything other than that? We need this in our lives. You need this in your life. We need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. These misconceptions, I hope, have helped you get these things out of your mind, get these things out of your thought, and begin to focus on really receiving, because next week we're going to be talking about it. Because listen, supernatural power is required. Supernatural power. Why? Because there's work to do. He said, I will give you power to be my witness, mighty, explosive power to be my witnesses to the world. We all, it's not just for some, it came on all 20 of them that were there. All 20 of them, every one of them received the same thing. It's for all of us who know Christ. It's for all of us to walk in supernatural power because there is supernatural work to be done and we need the power and the baptism of the Spirit to fill us full so we can operate in His power, we can operate in His gifts, we can have prophetic ministry to lost people and see people found, see them saved, see them healed, and see them delivered in Jesus' name. We need supernatural power and that's the reason for Pentecost. We always we need to keep in our mind all always the implications of the Spirit's outpouring on Pentecost and know that it, we that Pentecost experience continues still today. I need it in my life continually and you need it in your life continually. So be ready. Next week is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about what it is, who he is, and receiving him. If you need him, be ready, be with me, and your life is never going to be the same again. What happened to them can happen to you. It's going to be your Pentecost day. Amen. Wow. Let me pray for you right now. Father, I just thank you for all you've done and all you're doing. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for helping me just give a few of these 
misconceptions to people to help get these things out of the way that they might be able to fully receive believe about the baptism believe in it believe for it and then re- and then believe for receiving it in their life i don't know who it's going to be but somebody next week somebody next week is going to get full they're going to be baptized with the holy spirit they're going to sense it they're going to know it their life's going to be changed it's going to be a distinct happening in their life a distinct event in their life and it's going to change them forever I thank you, Lord God, for baptizing me in your Holy Spirit. I thank you, Father God, for the gift of tongues. I thank you for the gift of healings. I thank you, Father God, for the spiritual gifts that each one of us have an opportunity to operate in when it is needed because the Spirit came. Holy Spirit, you came to empower us for ministry. And we need all your gifts to do that and to be fully effective. So God bless these people, God. Bless them. May they be ready to receive. Bless them, God. May they have a great week. May they be filled with joy. May they be filled with the power of God. We give you the glory and we give you the praise. Let me say lastly, Lord, there's lost people out there who need them, who need them to be empowered with the Holy Spirit, who need them to move in supernatural power. Touch them, Lord. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. And everybody said together, amen and amen. God bless you. Thank you for joining me. I hope this has been something that's been informative to you. I hope you've gained some knowledge or trying to put some biblical truth as a foundation to this. But I'm excited about next week. We're going to talk about the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And then we're going to go on from there. Amen. Thank you for joining me. I pray you have a great rest of the week. May God richly bless you. May you walk in the healing of the Lord. Thank God your house is going to stay intact. If you live in Texas, your foundation is going to be healthy. Your bodies are healthy. We just give God the glory. Somebody say amen. Somebody say glory to God. Somebody say hallelujah. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And everybody said together, amen and amen.